0: Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And let's do it. The Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan here. Hope everybody's good. Uh, you know, I was in Scotland uh, before the COVID thing and uh, I was in a pub and I'm I, I'm super into crossword puzzles. I don't know if you knew that, but I am. And uh, I was stuck. I was in a the pub. There's other people in there, Scottish people, you know. And I was stuck
1: on a word. I went to the guy next to me and uh, that I kind of went there and hung out with for a
0: bit. We chatted. And I said, hey, I'm stuck on a word. It's eight letters. Starts with an M. It's for uh, stuck on a desert island. And uh, my friend, a Scottish guy, he goes, it's mirund." And I said, oh, it's, okay, I'll have a pint of lager then. Thank you. Oh, man. That one uh, I had to listen to for a few times. Uh, marooned like it's my round marooned yeah you know if you have to explain it it might not have been a winner but duff is a winner for always sending in the joke of the week every friday and thanks to everyone who joined us for the winnipeggers live show last night the idiot olympics are in the history books uh, and if you want to know, I want if you want to know how uh, each of us did, check it out on my Facebook page and YouTube channel now. Dave Spivak, Ribo and I will be back with a new Winnipegers episode next Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on Facebook and YouTube. And we'll be talking about our first cars. All right, today it's all about the rock and roll. I got Greg Harris, CEO of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's got some great stories about the museum and the Rock Hall artists and artifacts. He's also explaining how the voting and inductions work and why not all band members are inducted when a band goes in, like Kiss for one and Heart for another. still think Bruce Kulick should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's just my opinion. He also shares stories about some of the incredible performances, like when Prince stole the show during the George Harrison tribute, uh, Miles Kennedy singing for Slash and Guns N' Roses when Axel refused to come. Greg also talks about the most popular artifacts in band exhibits, how most of the items on display are from the artists or their families, and how some instruments, like Bruce Springsteen's guitar, are only in the museum when the artists aren't using them. It's a great behind-the-scenes look at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's starting now with Greg Harris, right here on Talk is Jericho. So, whenever I'm in Cleveland, I go to the uh, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and we're in town now for... Um for an AEW show and I was invited to come down and I thought you know always hustling I want to talk to the boss to the curator so to speak of the Rocker Hall of Fame and and he's here right now Greg Harris and I guess first and foremost how do you become the uh, I'm saying curator is that a proper term for what you do?
1: Um, You know um, we have curators that do an amazing job And uh, my proper title is that I'm the present CEO. Okay, so you're
0: higher than a curator. Gotcha.
1: Um, And uh, the way that I I ended up here, uh, first and foremost, I loved music. And um, I worked in record stores when I was in college to help pay for tuition. And dropped out of college after two years, opened up my own record store with a great friend. It was in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. The store still exists. What's it called? It's called the Philadelphia Record Exchange. Right on. It's been 30-something years, and my original partner still has it. After that, I road-managed some bands. I was never a great guitar player, so I played in some but never went anywhere. Right. And ultimately, um, got a master's degree in history with an emphasis on museums, and I worked for the Baseball Hall of Fame for 14 years. Oh, okay. And then I got recruited to come out here. And the Baseball Hall is a pretty cool place because it's the very first um, Hall of Fame.
0: Where is uh, that at? Cooperstown, New York. Cooperstown? right. Okay.
1: Opened in 1939, and uh, this museum was only 14 years old. They were looking for- um, some people to come in with experience, and they recruited me, and I walked in, and I said, yeah, this is my life. Mm. Uh, I got to be here, and uh, it's been a a blast. I've been here now. It's gone on 11 years, and um, I've been CEO for seven, and we've taken this museum. I don't know if you've noticed it through the years, Chris, because I know you're a a musician. You're a huge fan. You come here a lot. We took this place, and we kind of brought it alive. It was always great. Uh, We hosted 13 million people in the last 25 years, but now- we do 100 days of live music. We've got a spot on our second floor that I, I know you checked out called The Garage. Yeah. Visitors can jam with each other. And uh, it's just it's just a dynamic place. It's a blast to be here. And I, I love it. I love all of the visitors. And we've got an amazing staff. And we have a great
0: team of curators. So let's go back to a couple of things that you said. First and foremost, when you're talking about this is such a huge building. It's like if you haven't been here, it's, it's basically looks like a pyramid from the street. Obviously the real estate of that is, is very expensive yeah. and you mentioned something to keep things new and keep things constantly changing. What were some of the big changes that you made to the to the Rock Hall of Fame when you came in?
1: Yeah, you know, um some of the things we, we did was, first and foremost, is this has always been a beautiful place. The architect did an amazing job. It's this pyramid. If people are online and check it out. Yeah. I.M. Pei was designing buildings 25 years ago, and this is one of his,
0: his this top This is
1: I.M. Pei. I.M. Pei, yeah. Famous
0: Chinese architect. Yeah.
1: Really? This is one. Of, and he passed away last year in the New York Times, so this was one of his top five buildings. So it was always this reverential place for him. And it took rock and roll and said rock and roll is as important as any other art form. So we have guitars and outfits and other things on exhibit. All that's been terrific. What we needed was a little bit more of the, the DNA of rock and roll and not just a museum. Mm. So we gave it a little more of an edge. Uh, we blasted every w- surface in the museum used to be white. We painted them all black and red. We painted the bathrooms black to feel like you're in a club. We took the whole third floor and gutted it. We built a Hall of Fame floor. That's all new. We put in a theater where I uh, used to have a show. It was an hour and a half long where you saw each inductee, uh, a little clip of each inductee, which is cool when it opened 20 years ago. But you can do that on YouTube now. Right. So we hired Jonathan Demme, the great director that did Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah, of and It's not making sense. He did a 12-minute blow-your-face-off immersive theater for us where the screens move. You're in a front row seat to the greatest performances ever at the inductions. And it's just off the charts. I will tell you a little spoiler for folks. It ends with Prince's guitar solo for While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And we we were just, I just
0: actually, I did a thing for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame radio station and I played that song. One of the greatest moments in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame history.
1: Hands down and up on our third floor, you can see it. You can see the sweat coming down his face while he's lighting up
0: the guitar. And this is when George was inducted after he died. And Tom Petty's singing, Jeff Lynne, George's son is on guitar. Yeah. And he plays this crazy solo. Yes. And then he throws his guitar up at the end, walks off. But the guitar never comes down. That's Someone right. caught it. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. It, <laughs> it was uh, the story that I heard behind all that
1: was that they didn't rehearse as a group. Wow. So they didn't know what was coming. Clearly they were all ready. Right. But then he just took over. Mm. And uh, it is. It's on fire. When Jonathan Demi did the show for us, he knew he wanted to end with that. And so he built to that. And uh, people should check it out. It's off the charts. I want
0: to check it out when we're done. You got to take me up there and show me. Deal. I've never seen that.
1: And then the other thing we did was the second floor. We wanted a place for visitors to be able to jam with each other and play music. But the key was it couldn't just be a digital experience. You put real Les Pauls around your neck, real tellies, real strats. The drums are these beautiful drums from DW. Yeah. (laughs) And and you can just crank. And that's what happens in that space. Every single day of the year, people that don't know each other jam together. We have a whole staff uh, that if you need a bass player, they jump in and play bass. Uh, They'll play drums. Um, If you can't play an instrument, you can sing. If you can't sing, you can play the cowbell. Uh,
0: It's such a great idea because, like I said, we're here. with kind of the whole AEW group is here. And, you know, some musicians are musicians. You know, you don't really know who plays. But we went in there, and one guy gets on the keyboard, one guy's on bass, so okay, I'll play drums. And I was just saying earlier, I'm not a great drummer, but when you're playing in front of people that don't know, yeah. I'm freaking Neil Peart, right? God in bless the him. Hall of Fame, you're playing in the Hall, Hall of Fame. fame. Yeah. And it's like, well, let's play Inner Salmon. I've never played Inner Salmon on drums in my life, but we all know how it goes. Uh-huh. So, But it was just, it's a great experience when you get that. For people that are musicians, you'll know this. There's nothing better than connecting with somebody via music. Even if it's barely hanging on or a train wreck or whatever, yeah. it's still a feeling that you get and it's cool that you're able to do that here
1: yeah you know you're, you're dead on that idea of connection that's been our theme for all the transformations at the museum so literally the fact that rock connects us and what that means is that um first and foremost everybody that comes through our front door has a lifetime of memory and experience tied to the music in here no other place in the world has that so then you want to connect with your fellow fans those that felt the same way about Metallica or about the Dead or about you know name any band, right? right. <laughs> you want to connect with those people, and then in our in our um, garage, you want to do that too. And these connections, they're actually really meaningful. Like it comes together for that moment, and you feel it. And there's people that play in there that haven't picked up an instrument in twenty years. And they're brought back. Right. In our museum, our our staff connects with the visitors. And this whole idea that rock and roll connects us. And then the other part that we use to drive all these changes, we've got a really clear our our mission for our museum is to engage, teach, and inspire through the power of rock and roll. Hmm. Engage, teach, and inspire. And you can get away with a lot with that. But what it means is in the summertime. When you walk up to our museum, odds are there's going to be a live band playing outside. It's going to feel like a
0: festival. Just in on the in the, on the patio out there, so to speak? Yeah, we put a summer
1: yeah. stage up. We put food trucks, a beer garden. Oh, that's garden. great. It's like a great hang, but we want people to feel like re, – be reminded of that festival they went to or be reminded of the power of this music. And if there isn't a live band, there's music blasting out of our speakers Then you come in the museum, you can buy a good cup of coffee, you can buy a a cold beer as soon as you walk in. It's a really good cup of coffee. I'm drinking (laughs) one right now, actually. And and then then you go through the museum and you connect with your life and you connect with other people that feel the same way you did. And um, this place is a powerful, energetic place. The guitars are important. The artifacts are important. Who's inducted, who's not inducted is important, but really it's the, the fans themselves and their memories and their connections that make this place special.
0: What a great point. That's a great point. Because there's always debates. I'm not as staunch as some are, but every year I said, because I come to the ceremony every year. I have since 2014 to become a tradition. So we're always like looking, who's going to be inducted and who's the nominees. And this year I was like, obviously I love the Doobie brothers, love Depeche Mode, but I was like, how can there be no priest and no Motorhead, no Dave Matthews band? It becomes such a debate that people are literally like coming, almost want to come to blows. Oh, yeah. It means so much to it, them.
1: It does. You know, and, and we actually love that because it means they care. Right. It means it means something to be inducted. And, in, you know, just to back it up a hair, it's massive to be nominated. There yeah. have been millions of people that have made records. This year, there's only 16 nominated for oh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's true. And in the whole scheme of it, there's only 338 inductees. Wow. That's it. Uh, in the entire history of rock and roll, it's it's a really small group. And eventually, those that are nominated, eventually, just about all of them get in. Mm. Um, this year's class, when you looked at the 16 nominees, you could have put in any five or six. Right. And the group we got is amazing. It's going to be a great night. And uh, we're thrilled for them. And um, the fans have uh, voiced who they want. <laughs> uh, and everybody wants to advocate for the band that they love. And we think that's great.
0: Do you have any, not you per se, or maybe you, have any uh, say in who gets inducted? So the
1: induction process, a lot of folks don't fully understand it, and it's a chance to explain it right now. Um, There's a nominating committee that meets every September, and that committee is about 30 individuals, music industry folks, some musicians. You know, speaking of drums, Dave Grohl's on the committee. I think Lars
0: is on the committee too, right?
1: He's not, but uh, uh, Questlove is on it. And uh, a few other artists, um, Tom Morello's on it. And then uh, writers and historians, I'm on that committee too. We all pick two nominees and we advocate for them in the meeting. And then there's a series of voting and it becomes a ballot of roughly 15 or 16. Wow. That ballot then goes out to a 1,000 voters. And the biggest voting block are all the other inductees. So Lars votes, gotcha. Smokey Robinson votes, Tina wow. Turner votes, Springsteen votes. Wow. Uh and that's when that comes back, that's who's elected to the Hall of Fame. And want people to know it's election by your peers. So they're the ones that sort of decide that. And it's the top five vote getters that are inducted.
0: Amongst the thousand uh,
1: the thousand vote on the sixteen. Gotcha. And of those the sixteen, the top five uh, I this year right. it was six because it was a, a close call. Uh, they're, they're elected,
0: so because we also know that fans vote too. Do, is that just more of a fun thing, or do you take that into account as well?
1: It's more of a um, a chance for fans to share who they really advocate for. It does count as a single ballot. Gotcha, it counts. And um, you know, before people start really jumping on that, it's we modeled it after the Heisman Trophy voting. The Heisman voting has nine hundred or so. Um, voters that are part that are working in college football, and then there's a fan component, and that counts as one vote.
0: See, it's interesting to me because um, I read Rolling Stone for years, and everyone kind of always blames you know Jon Wen and Rolling Stone, but like there is when you're talking about the thousand, that's why it takes so long for a kiss or a rush to get in because they're not really critics' choices,
1: right? Well, it's there's two things there. First of all, it's getting on the ballot, right? Right. So. Rush was eligible for a long time and what was happening was um they were competing to get on the ballot with some of their contemporaries with Genesis with Moody Blues with Yes mm-hmm. so there's a little log jam in prog rock. rock guys yeah and uh what happened is they then the committee started in the nominating process started to do one at a time Genesis went in they get on the ballot they go in that's where Rush gets on the ballot they go in the first year they're on the ballot yeah. Yes, it took two years. Moody Blues were eligible for 29 years. They finally get on the ballot. They go in immediately. So there's a bit of that with the nominating committee. Getting them on the ballot is key.
0: I got to say the Rush induction, Alex Lyson's speech, maybe the best in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame history.
1: <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, well, the other thing that was cool was uh, when they went up to the lectern, they said, uh, you know, for years we've been saying this doesn't
0: matter. Yeah. And then they said, it really matters. Like, And, you know, so that was Neil Peart. Yeah. He said, "We for years, we thought this doesn't matter. turns out it matters. It you does. Know? I think it's one of those things everybody says that, like, we don't care about going in the Rocker Hall of Fame. But then when you get in, you know, and there's a lot of bands that were doing this for the fans, and, and as you should. Right. Like, I know there was always the, the whole KISS controversy when they got in. Who plays? Who doesn't play? They didn't play. Who's in? Who's out? Whatever. When they were on stage getting in the Hall of Fame, they're smiling. They're yeah. together, and I was in the freaking boonies <laughs> at the Barclays Center screaming, Paul Stanley! Paul Stanley! You, you're super into it, you, right?
1: You are. You know, it's because it's a lifetime award. It's not having one good song on a soundtrack, or it's not doing one great album. This is a lifetime Body of work, right. And then to be elected there by your peers is a huge statement. So that's kind of the key. And it, it's a humbling moment. I think because they think about they're now in the same spot as the Rolling Stones, as Chuck Berry, as Bob Dylan, you know, all of the
0: early greats. The greats, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk uh, about—actually, there's so much to talk about. Let's talk about multiple inductees because there was something for me like I have my own little list of of bands and guys. And to me, one of them was Ringo. And he got in, I believe, in 15. But before, I was like, how could Ringo not be in as a solo artist? He's got six top ten hits. He's the most famous worldwide drummer. He finally gets in. Was it? Was there finally someone that said, "Come on, guys"? Was it McCartney, or was it? Was it?
1: Yeah, you know that. Um, so if you think about it, right, the Beatles go in as a group, right? But to understand the magnitude, they don't go in the first year of That's the Rockwell opening.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: you know, but if, <laughs> you've got uh, Leadbelly and uh, Chuck Berry and and others that were really the 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 godfathers and godmothers.
0: Hey, and, and if you if you talked to the Beatles, they'd probably say these are the guys that influence us, put them in first. That's yes. your point, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so uh so they go in and then um you know, those that were really noted, I guess I wouldn't for solo careers in a bigger way, of course Lennon, mm-hmm. McCartney, mm-hmm. you know, massive uh with Wings and and as on his own, and Harrison, right? So Ringo kind of Gets overlooked a little bit right. uh, in that pantheon. Great songs, great solo stuff. Uh, love the whole all-star things that he does now. And uh, his name came up, and I believe that McCartney was in support of him. But ultimately, it was a nominating committee mm-hmm. that decided to add him to the ballot. And once added to the ballot,
0: you in. know, in. At the end, then Paul's like, I'll induct him in. Yeah, and
1: yeah. so they're on stage together in Cleveland on the very same stage in this old concert hall where they played in 1964. That's right.
0: in Cleveland, yeah. In
1: Cleveland on their first U.S. You know, major tour. Here they are on the exact same stage 50 years later, and then they jammed together and they played out Want to Be Your Man with Stevie Wonder uh beck was part of it uh it was just crazy Insane. lineup yeah
0: you know i've got so many stories about that night i could do my own podcast on it but uh john
1: legend gary clark jr it was like if wild. you watch
0: the hbo special you see this hand keep going up but it's it's right in the front row and it's like almost obscuring like mccartney that was my hand it was in the front row, just going nuts <laughs> and it's like so i'm sure the floor director's like tell that guy to put his f- hand down <laughs> But I mean so 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 Ringo uh, Ringo, Paul, George, John, who else is a double inductee? Stevie Nicks is double now.
1: Stevie Nicks is double, first female double inductee, which is really That's very cool. cool. Um you know um I'm trying to uh,
0: think of uh, other was Clapton Jeff Beck.
1: Beck. Uh Clapton. Is Clapton might be three? Uh he's Yardbirds and Clapton, Clapton and, Clapton and, and Cream. Cream.
0: Yes, he is. So he's a triple. Yes. That might be the only triple.
1: Uh Graham Nash is in with the Hollies. And with um, uh, Crosby, Crosby Stills, Stills, and Nash. Nash. Uh, who else? Neil Young, maybe same. Uh, Neil Young is um, Crosby, Stills. It's Crosby, Stills, and Nash.
0: So Young God. didn't get in.
1: Boy, this is embarrassing. I should know <laughs> that off the. Top <laughs> no, I mean, of my head. come on. Yeah, you yeah. should know
0: every yeah. everything off the top of your head. But it, that to me is is really special to be like a double or like a Clapton is a triple. Yeah, you know that, that's something for all of you at home. Let us know if there's any other triple uh, uh, nominees. Lou
1: Reed's a double with Velvet Underground, then Lou Reed. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, we can get on the list. It's really, it's pretty cool. There's some early musicians uh, that are in with with multiple groups as musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it's um, to do it well, you have to have had almost a full. So the criteria for induction is impact and influence.
0: Impact and influence. Yes. Explain. S-
1: meaning, did you take the art form in a new direction? Did others that came after you did it shape the way that they made music and the way that they created? So impact and influence, it's not really record sales, it's not chart status, it's impact and influence.
0: So that's how you that's how you really go with yeah. it. Because there's a lot of bands that have still stadium level like Iron Maiden, never right. on the ballot, but still playing stadiums thirty years later. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. You know, yeah, and they uh they will ultimately they're they're it's just been, a matter
0: of time, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. They've never been nominated. Um but let's see where that goes. But back to impact and influence. So if an artist is in a band Right. And then when they leave that band, they just continue playing that same stuff. That's not a distinctly separate solo career.
0: Gotcha. Right? You have to create your own yeah. tunes. And your own, I'm just looking through a Yeah, you said Jeff so, Beck. so Paul Simon's another one,
1: right? He's got – Simon and Garfunkel are amazing. But then Paul goes solo. In Graceland, it sort of brings in different rhythms and different um, sounds, and he, he takes rock and roll in a in a direction that influences a lot of people as a solo artist, so mm-hmm. he's in as a solo artist, too.
0: So, Peter Gabriel.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Michael Jackson.
1: Uh-huh, Jackson 5 yeah. and, and solo, yep.
0: Jimmy Page. Uh,
1: yes, uh, Yardbirds. Uh-huh.
0: Rod Stewart.
1: Faces and solo. And yep. solo,
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, you mentioned Stills. He's in there, Stephen Stills. Ronnie Wood.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Faces and Stones.
0: I wouldn't have guessed that one. Out of all the stones, he's the double.
1: Faces, by the way, for those that don't know the the Faces, check them out. Oh,
0: such a great band. Let's talk about the the artifacts that you have here because, I mean, there's so much great stuff. And you could go through for hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, Actually, before we go there, let me ask you a couple questions about... Who gets inducted? Okay, so we're looking at the at the uh, Springsteen and the E Street Band, yep. or, or George uh, Clinton and um, Parliament. Yeah, there's 18 names. Yeah, then Kiss gets in, and it's yep. only four, uh-huh. even though they had a huge career in the 80s. And Bruce Kulick and Eric Carr are not inducted. Yeah, so you know what I mean? Like, there's so many, like you know. Trujillo and Newstead get in, yeah, yeah, uh, but you know, freaking uh, Mustaine is not. Like, wh- uh-huh. where, where, where do you draw Uh-oh. the line? You're for giving this? me the stare. <laughs> I'm just you're wondering. Yeah, yeah, you
1: know. So think about it this way: it's the lineup that made that body of work that was the impactful, influential body of work. So if you think about, um, well, and, and there's also a little technicality: uh, Springsteen is in as a solo, right? Because all of his records were credited as Bruce Springsteen. The E Street Band does not appear with a record credit. So Bruce Greetings from Asbury Park. Bruce Springsteen, Wildness, East Street Shuffle. Bruce Springsteen, Darkness. Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. Bruce Springsteen. So it's
0: never Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band. Not until a box set in like
1: nineteen. No kidding. So it's not
0: like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Just, wow! I never knew that. So
1: that's there. There's a little. Um, I don't want to call it a technicality, but there's there has to be some criteria, and they just were never credited on the records. So. He's eligible when that clock starts, and that's how he goes in. Then they come in later as sidemen. But then on, on other artists, it's the idea that who was the lineup that made those impactful and influential records? And this year, we got an interesting thing because the Doobie Brothers oh have gosh. two eras. Yeah. Both eras were recognized by the voters. But if you go back to, um, I'll say maybe a heart. Heart makes their first few records, they're off the charts,
0: right? With uh, the band. With the band. Yeah.
1: And I think they're together for almost 10 years, 11 years, uh, recording or recording history. Then they, they break up and um they ultimately hire new musicians that play with them for many years. And they're playing the old stuff and they're making new music, but they're being recognized for that era of impact and influence. And that's the lineup that goes in not the folks that joined them for the, the second half.
0: Interesting. Yeah, because like, like I said, it, th- there is kind of a double standard sometimes. Like with the Peppers, I remember like Jack Irons gets in, yeah. who is, and there was the, their original drummer, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. He played in a couple albums, but then there's another band that will right. go in. Like I said, Kiss, it's four guys, and that's it. It's almost like yeah. the hall was like, all right, put them in, but it's just the guys in the makeup, and that's it, you but, know?
1: Well, they're, they're an interesting one because, again, the core records... Are are those four? Yeah, uh, those are the core songs in the core band and the core record. Now, now I get it; they made other great music, but the ones that people look at and they talk about as being the drivers, those are the ones. In their world, it gets a little more complex because they even, you know, take on personas, right? Uh, which is, you know, all part of it. Yeah. So I know you got to ask it, and I know people are interested. That's well, it, uh, that's
0: what I mean. It's it, it, it's interesting to to hear the stories behind it. You know what I mean? Because like I said, like I remember when the East Street Band got inducted, it was the year Nirvana got in, mm-hmm. and dude, there was I'm sure you were there. There's like 13 guys in the band. That speech went like two hours. I was like, I can't take it. I went to the bar. I got so loaded because they're still talking. <laughs> but the time Nirvana came on, I was just off my rocker. But that's you know everyone has to have their moment, right?
1: Yeah. So yeah, the ceremony last year changed a little bit in uh, a number of the bands. Only one person spoke, mm. and uh, as a result, they played more songs. Yeah. So um for uh the cure. By the way Trent Reznor did an amazing um he inducted that And
0: by the way, how great was the cure. Uh, I never rated them before, but when I saw them live I was like, Holy shit, these guys are great. Yeah. Yeah. They
1: they uh, they, they really I, I think people in that arena that night you know, they were being inducted along with with Def Leppard, with Stevie Nicks, uh, Janet Jackson. Zombies. Zombies. <laughs> people went in as fans of all those bands, and everybody became a Cure fan that night. Yeah. And Def Leppard killed it, too. Yeah. Everybody, you know. Really, um, the other part of that is there was a time in the 80s when those two bands seemed so different. Yeah. When they're on stage and delivering high quality, there's
0: not that much difference. It's high energy, technical rock and roll. But let me ask you this: because sometimes, as you mentioned, Ringo, "I Want to Be Your Man," the huge jam. Yeah. Some years they have it. Some years they don't. Last year with Def Leppard, they did not have the jam after. What predicates that? I think it's length of ceremony. Yeah.
1: And uh, and artists that are there, and um, just kind of how it comes together. So. I wouldn't read too much into it i got gotcha. you when it, when it works it really works and it comes together uh the challenge is it's always expected because there's been some that are off the charts right there's a train kept a rolling with ronnie wood jimmy page Oh my gosh. uh the guys from metallica are all there the guys from green day are on stage with them no i'm sorry the guys from chili peppers are on stage with them you've got flea playing bass that was just off the charts yeah off the charts
0: once again musicians love playing together yeah. Do you know? Do you know? Train kept it rolling. No, but I'll follow along. If you're a pro, yeah. I'll follow you. Or just turn me down and just let me be on stage and, and rock it. Right? <laughs> Let's actually talk about the hall now. So all of this great stuff. Where do you get these artifacts from? Yeah. I mean, there's stuff there like Jimi Hendrix's doodles from when he's like you know 1958 and it's yeah. pristine yes. uh, condition.
1: So you know, first and foremost, anything we have here. Whether it's Elton John shoes or a Jimi Hendrix guitar, we treat it like a Van Gogh painting. Yeah. Temperature, humidity controlled, all secure, all oh, that stuff. Oh, okay. So we own roughly 35,000 items, artifacts, mm-hmm. other things. If you count our library and archives, it's millions. You know, it's, it's footage, it's photos, it's documents. But of those artifacts, uh, we, so we own most of them. There's only about 3,000 on exhibit at any given time. And most of the things on exhibit are ours. We get them directly from the artist family. We—that's um, our our preferred path. Occasionally, somebody that may collect them will donate them to us. We also have some stuff on loan, and some of our best things are on loan. So, John Lennon's guitar from that 1964 Ed Sullivan.
0: The Rickenbacker. Uh, show, the
1: Rickenbacker. Yeah. Uh, Yoko Ono graciously loans us that guitar.
0: So she says you can use, you can display it, yes. but I want it back. Eventually, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so, uh, you know, that's a uh, Springsteen's guitar that's upstairs. That uh, that Fender, it's kind of a hybrid. It's an Esquire neck on a on a Tele body. Uh, that guitar is his. If he goes on tour this summer, that guitar is being shipped to wherever he's playing. No kidding. And a little tag goes in the case that says, you know, currently on tour.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, here's something that that I think people don't understand. It makes sense to me. Temperature control, humidity. Like if, if this is Springsteen's guitar, you got to make sure it doesn't get you know warped by the humidity. We're like, so how do you do that? Because they're all in sealed cases. Yeah.
1: So we we do that for um, for a couple of reasons. One, it's it's because we've we've promised them we're going to keep it perfect. But the other is, as a museum, our commitment is to preserve this stuff forever. It's going to, we're going to preserve this long past any of us, any of the time that any of us are working here. Right. These things are like, you know, Springsteen's guitar is like the Declaration of Independence. It's a a cultural treasure for this country, and we need to make sure we preserve it forever. So the way we do it, the whole building, you know, there's humidity being injected into the atmosphere as needed, or it's being dehumidified as needed to keep everything at about 40% relative humidity. Uh, The temperature is a little cool. We want it to be like 65 degrees all the time. Um, and then we have storage. We have storage conditions that are even you know, more extreme. And uh, everybody wears white gloves when you touch this stuff. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we really do. We treat these things like they're um, like they're the rarest artifacts. And they are.
0: What people, what people don't know is if you're playing guitarless here outside and, you know, if it gets really hot or if it's yeah. really cold, that will put your guitar out of tune. So you have to keep an eye on that because it might, like you said, warp the wood. We, we
1: do, and we have um,
0: uh,
1: some guitar techs that come in, and uh, they keep stuff strung and keep stuff healthy. Um, you know, one of there's, luckily we have somebody that lives locally who's Joe Walsh's guitar tech, and he comes in. He's one of our sort of experts. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the big art museums have uh, art curators. We have, we have these folks. Exactly, in. yeah. Uh, but we also have collections, people that could work. At any art museum in this country, they handle this stuff the same way. And they have training. We have uh, librarians and archivists and others that make sure this stuff's preserved forever.
0: Do you have a lot of of the musicians coming in to to look around?
1: Yeah. We'll host over 2,000 musicians a year. And, uh, like the have, actual
0: inductee type musicians? Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, we have a real sort of aggressive... Uh, you met Shelby earlier. Mm-hmm. Shelby's our artist relations manager. She's contacting, hey, there, there's... And <laughs> whoever's touring, we're getting a hold of them a few weeks out. We're saying, hey, we're here. Come on over. Uh, we want to show you um, your stuff. But the interesting thing is when they come over, they want to see the people they idolized. Right, they of course. They want to see their heroes. Um, so tell us some of the people that have come in. Uh, when Metallica came through last year... They rolled in and we did a dinner in here where they had the whole museum to themselves at, at, after hours. Oh. And so, hanging out at midnight with the band and their families, seeing everything was really pretty cool. That's cool. Um, but on any given day, people are passing through up in that garage. Speaking of Metallica, some of those guys came out to help us open up an exhibit. Yeah,
0: Robin Kirk were just here jamming, right? You know,
1: Robin yeah. Kirk were jamming. The 80s band Berlin came through and did a couple songs up there. Amazing. Terry Nunn sounds phenomenal.
0: Take my uh, breath away.
1: Yes. You know, um, some of the guys from Alice Cooper's band, Dennis Dunaway, came through. Mm. Some newer bands, like, well, Chris Isaac came up and was singing Mm. in the garage. You know, there's a long list, and it's really fun. They come through. They want to see the artists that they idolized. And some of them want to put a guitar around their neck and jam with some visitors. Yeah.
0: So um, when you talk about visitors coming, you mentioned you've had 13 million people here over 25 years. Yeah. So 500,000 a year, give or take. Who are the most popular artists that people are checking out?
1: Yeah. You know, that's uh, always the, the the stalwarts, of course, Beatles and Stones. Yeah. Motown stuff is always big. But we also have a really strong interest in, um, in a lot of 80s, 90s. And, you know, Nirvana continues to be a big draw. A lot of younger kids know their hip hop. They're very well versed. We've had seven hip-hop artists in the Hall of Fame. They want to see Public Enemy. They want to see Run-DMC. They want to see those Godfathers. You know, everybody has their favorites. And so you kind of find it as you wander the building. Bowie, very popular. Uh, Prince is very popular. Hendrix, of course. Right. This current exhibit that we have open now called Play It Loud, The Instruments of Rock, we co curated it with the Metropolitan Museum in New York. You know, that has guitars from Elvis. It has Stevie Ray's number 1. I saw that, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah.
0: The, 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 before we go th- I want to just talk about each one. The Elvis one is amazing because if you look at the back of it, I, I think I think you guys pointed it out to me. It's all scratched like it's worn like his belt buckle yeah. or all the you know, Elvis <laughs> the pelvis doing his deal. Yeah. It's all worn down. You see this like oh my gosh, you can see both sides of the guitar.
1: Oh yeah, and that's what he uh, he used that on the um I think it was on the Sun recordings. That's the guitar.
0: Where are you getting that from?
1: Uh that one is um on loan and it From is- who? I can't remember at the moment if it's a if like it's a, a collector. Or a, if it, we work with Graceland a lot, too. Gotcha. And, and they loan us stuff. Some of the other things in that exhibit, like Stevie Ray's, his brother Jimmy Vaughn, an yes, amazing guitar player, he loaned us that. Rory Gallagher, his nephew, loaned us Rory's primary guitar. Yep. Um, there's a Roger Waters guitar in there that is uh, a legendary guitar. And the owner, uh, Jim Ursay of the Colts, uh, owner of the Colts, has an amazing collection. He loaned that to us. Um, Angus's
0: SG is in there. Yes, I think
1: that's from his family. There's a Blackie from Clapton
0: that's I, in there. I saw that. Yeah, Blackie. It's actually called Blackie. Yeah. So it's it's staggering. You know what I love too about just oh, any, well, hang on. There's a Joe Strummer guitar.
1: Oh wow. Uh, and his widow is is loaning us that guitar. It's it's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I just love like I learned today, and never really thought about it. You can see uh, there's a little card for Angus's guitar that says. He never uses effects it's just guitar preamp and amp crunchy, crunchy never realized it but of course it makes perfect sense but i, I like that i could come here yeah. even as a rockologist quote unquote and learn yeah. stuff like that you know
1: you know you can see that on that card but up in our right now in the top of the building the sixth floor you can have um keith richards explaining his guitar rig to you. Jeez. Tom Morello shows you how he gets the Rage Against the Machine sound. Tom's
0: guitar is in that Play It Loud yeah. from Rage Against the Machine. That's yeah. right. And or Ed, maybe it was from Audio Slave maybe.
1: And Eddie Van Halen talks about where he got his technique and how he made it happen. And what's really cool is you see Keith Richards like simplifies it. You know, he even only has five strings on his I know. guitar. People don't realize Open that. Open tuning. And
0: he plays with the capo too, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And Tom ha- says he has not changed the settings on his amp in, like, 20 years. Once he got it, he takes a sharpie, marks them down, and they don't change. And that way he can control it, and he knows what he's going to get, and he can sort of always, always find a way to get back to that sound. Otherwise, you get lost.
0: Well, and that's what, you know, once again, not being a gearhead, but being in a band, it's not like, what's your rig like, and what kind of effects you... All that shit doesn't matter. It's the hands. Yeah. The hands of the player are, are more important than the instrument itself in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know. But then you get these like the BB Kings, like the guitar he made, like it's a, shaped like a box.
1: Yeah. Uh, Bo Diddley. Bo
0: Diddley. Sorry. Yeah. Bo Sorry. Diddley's
1: square guitar. He built those crazy reverb and like he wild... built
0: his own guitar, guys. That's crazy. Yeah. In well, the
1: fifties. In the fifties. Uh, another legendary build is uh, is Brian May he's played one guitar and his dad and he built it
0: built it with his dad yeah. famous story once again i mentioned that being a gearhead to me as the show business guy it's the outfits that just blows my mind to see them you know uh, <laughs> tattoo you two or stones mixed got his football pants and right. a purple onesie the cape like yeah. how like so so <laughs> where where once again are they donated from the bands yeah
1: usually donated by the bands some of them Occasionally a collector. But here's the thing, what we want, so um we don't just want like a signed drum head to put on a wall. Right. Or uh, a guitar out of um out of a guitar store that Slash has signed. We want the guitar that Slash was using when he was recording, you know, appetite, saying, yeah. Or appetite, yeah. Appetite, yeah. You know, that's the guitar we want. That moment. And um so the outfit you talk about, um, Mick Jaggers, that tour was off the charts. They're doing soccer stadiums in the US. And um having that or football stadiums and he had sort of football themed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um by the way, I saw that tour in Philadelphia with a hundred thousand of my closest friends. (laughs) And there's no jumbotrons. Right, you know, they just held it down. Yeah, it was very cool. You can
0: see that uh, there's a, there's a great like a DVD of that, and like the balloons come out. It's the middle of the day. Bill Wyman's got his cigarettes in his sweatsuit <laughs> that he just pulls out and lights up. Like no pomp and circumstance whatsoever. No, they- that might have been the first stadium tour in rock and roll, besides like, the Beatles doing some stadium shows. But yeah, that that was a
1: huge one to go to that size and actually translate it. Um, the other great example of some of those big shows is the Dead. And what they perfected in the, um, in the early 70s was traveling with their own gear, their whole wall of sound. They brought mm. all their equipment, all the PA, everything was theirs. And they just knew how to deliver it.
0: Yeah. Tell us some of your favorite exhibits or pieces, shall we say. Yeah.
1: So, um, you know, I'm a big Clash fan. So seeing Joe Strummer's guitar, of course, is amazing. You know, I love some of the handwritten lyrics. Oh, let's talk about that. Yeah. And uh, there's one, there's a guy that most people haven't heard of named Doc Pomus, And uh, Doc was called by Lou Reed and Bob Dylan is one of the greatest American songwriters. Hmm. He's a Hall of Fame inductee. You have never his, heard of him. You know his songs, though. He wrote This Magic Moment, uh, Viva Las Vegas, oh, Teenager no. in Love. All right. And um, he had polio as a kid, used crutches in his adult years, and then a wheelchair. And at his own wedding, he watched his new bride dance with the best man, dance with her father, and he took a card and he wrote, Save the Last Dance for Me, right? And then he wrote the song. Damn. That card's on exhibit. Wow. So when you see that and you think, all right, that's the moment, the moment of inspiration that this song that when you say, Save the Last Dance for Me, everybody Damn. hears it. It doesn't matter if you grew up in Southern Cal, if you grew up in Saskatchewan, or if you grew up <laughs> in Florida or wherever, we all know that song and it connects all of us and that's where it came from, that piece of paper.
0: You know, I was just looking through the Beatles stuff and there's a lot of Lennon handwritten, uh, there's, there's. Uh, I think Paul had written the the structure for birthday, yep. uh, there's-
1: Day in a Life, you have Seen the Sky with Diamonds, they're all on exhibit. And those, you know, again, that's that moment of that flashpoint, right? That flashpoint of creativity, balance that with the Stones who first get a kick ass guitar lick. Like, that's where it starts. Yeah. And then you build on that. Then you add some lyrics. These guys start lyric, harmony, and it comes together.
0: Once again, the fact that you could even get that, because, you know, like, who saves that stuff? You know what I mean? Like, even for me, like, you're putting together a match, I'll write some stuff down, and then, you know, it goes away. Like, is that from Yoko's collection as well? Are you getting this from private collectors? Because there's a lot of Beatles yeah. written stuff. Yeah.
1: So that exhibit for the Beatles – all four of the, you know, the the guys or their estates have helped us with that exhibit. So we've received things from um, from from George Harrison's family. We've received things from Ringo. We've received things from Paul and things from Yoko. And that's all that stuff that's in there. One of the suits, the the Nehru jacket, uh, is something that we own, mm. and uh, some of the other stuff we own. But they've come from all four of them are part of this exhibit. It's really cool. There's a piano in there that. Uh, was used by Leonard McCartney and it was in um, Peter Asher's house. Hmm. Uh, they rented an apartment there and they would compose and write songs and they wrote Eleanor Rigby, I Want to Hold Your Hand, a bunch of others on that piano. That's on exhibit too.
0: You know, I like too, like you mentioned the guitars, like George's first guitar is there mm-hmm. and dude, it's a piece of shit. Like it really <laughs> is. And I like- High, my, high action, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And I like seeing that and if you're if kids come here maybe that are aspiring musicians to see like it doesn't start in the big leagues, guys, it starts with this piece of crap guitar that yeah. mum bought him for two pounds or whatever, and leads to this, you know, international, you know, iconic guy. It's inspirational to see that, even now, as a 49 year old musician yeah. fan, just to see like, wow, like these things are just pieces of wood.
1: They are, and uh, it's what inspired him. It's where it all started. There's a famous one from Paul Simon, uh, one of his early guitars that um. At some point along the way, somebody painted it blue, like with house paint. Yeah. You know, it was, and it was, but it was the first thing that inspired him. So speaking of stuff, you talked about wrestling and uh, in the show and outfits and other stuff. Where's all your gear? Is there a wrestling museum?
0: Well, there, there, there should be. Yeah. You know, it's funny because once again, I told you about the cruise that I did last year. I have a, a storage unit now where all my stuff is in there. And I, who's going to ever want to see this? I put it out and people were taking pictures with it and want to see it because- to them, it's as important as some of these artifacts yeah. are. See, you don't ever, you never think of it though that way. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you went to Paul and said, "Do you have your guitar?" You might go. I mean, McCartney might obviously be different, but to me, it's like, who's gonna care? But deep down inside, I know a lot of people yeah. care.
1: Well, they're tools of the trade. But it also sparks that memory, like they remember who they were watching that match with or right. wearing that. Right, 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 and, and sort of what was happening in their life at that moment and their powerful yeah. things. Yeah, you that's the, the root of museums. It's always easy to think of older stuff from different generations as being – historic, it's hard to think of things from your own life being uh, right. worth present. Pre- but you have
0: to also see the big picture. I know that people will, you know, yeah, I'm going to start at the Chris Jericho Museum. It's going to be in a cardboard box <laughs> down the street here. <laughs> There's a great poster uh, in the Beatles window, probably from nineteen sixty one or so, and you see the list like, you know, the, the the rock party bash, you know, and it's got all the bands and it says the sensational Beatles, originators of Adam Rock. And I'm like, some promoter probably went, Adam Rock yeah. genius. It's genius, What does it yeah. mean? Just put it
1: on the poster. Put it there. There's, uh, sp- there's satellites being launched in the air. Space <laughs> stuff is big. Let's call it Adam Rock.
0: Adam Rock, exactly. Yeah. I- once again, just to see those types of things, it's, it's very, very, very cool.
1: Yeah, you know, all these artists, whether they're playing – if they're playing massive stadiums now or if they're playing, you know, lounges, um, they all kind of go through that same deal. They all travel around in station wagons and vans. Uh, they all put in the hours. Uh, some of them just don't make it through. Uh, others peel off and do other things. But those yeah. that stick with it and really go, there's this, this bond and this commonality that people, you know, have shared through the last through generations. Uh, they have more in common with each other than what most people do. It's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. That's part of the magic of getting them all
0: together too. As we start to wind down here, you just actually the perfect segue getting them together. One of the things about the Rock and Hall of Fame ceremony is when you get bands together that have not played for a while, there's some animosity, or Van Halen, nobody shows up but Sammy and Mike, or you know, uh, uh what was it a couple of years ago? I can't remember which bands the, the, the main guy didn't show up, and it's like, oh, Dire Straits. Yeah. You get those type of things. Are you involved in these conversations? and Tell us about some of those stories,
1: yeah. you know, I think. The main thing, first of all, a lot of that, are our show's producers and our foundation, uh, Joel Parisman's our executive producer on a lot, does a great job getting it together. And one of the cool things about those is we it's a chance to connect yesterday and today. right? So connect some current artists with those that influence them and sort of build these magical combos. But the bands themselves, think about it this way. You know, if anybody's ever planned a wedding, right, just doing a wedding with two families, there's (laughs) outliers, there's odd stuff. Well, then if you, if you plan that wedding and there's, you know, been multiple divorces, right. And who sits where and who comes and who's going to do what, you know, all that feeds into the mix. Well, think of these bands where they've been together, then they've probably dissolved for good reason, whether it was they were sick of each other or there was financial stuff. Or again, it's like, it's like a big divorce. And then, you're you're going to get back together uh, mm. all these years later, and it's going to happen that night, and you've got to sort of work it through. But um, one of the great examples was Cream hadn't played together in 25 years, and they played at their induction, mm. very very cool. So that that idea of setting these differences aside, and if you the bands probably if they if they thought about it enough and thought about what it meant to the fans, then you set that aside and you play for them. Now that said, some of this stuff is deep. Some of this stuff um, you know, hasn't healed itself, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame isn't necessarily going to be the place that heals it either, but right. there's a chance for that.
0: Well, I mean, the police did it too after not playing for so many years. Stuart Copeland broke his snare head during it. But I mean, when, when, when Deep Purple got inducted, yeah. Richie Blackmore doesn't show up, right? When Chicago gets inducted, Peter Cetera doesn't show mm-hmm. up. And it's almost like, come on, guys. Come on, just one song, but then they got to rehearse. And then there's, yeah. you know,
1: if they got to rehearse. They've got to also, you know, there's a standard of quality that if they don't feel they're going to hit that standard, you don't want to preserve this as your penultimate moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you got to be comfortable delivering. You know, Bill Withers is a solo artist, uh, but he hadn't really played live in a number of years as right. a songwriter. And uh, he, Stevie Wonder, Inducted him, and then Stevie sang most, and, and Bill helped, but really it was, and John Legend sang.
0: Yeah, he, uh, Bill was doing background vocals for his own induction. Yes. Which I assume probably that meant he couldn't probably sing.
1: Yeah, he didn't have the range anymore, and uh, but the songs are still amazing. Uh, the impact was there, and um, he, instead of wanting to, to deliver in a way, doing it in a way that he felt didn't uphold his right. quality. He hadn't even been touring. Uh, to have somebody like a Stevie Wonder and a John Legend do it, hey, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> and then there's other ones too, like when Journey got in, it was cool to see Steve Perry and Neil Sean on the same stage, but Steve's voice isn't what it used to be. So then nobody plays, which I understand, because if they're yeah. going to play and Steve is going to be there and he can't sing, you're going to feel like, you know, inadequate, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, now, he does have a record out that sounds pretty good.
0: It sounded great. Yeah. yeah. Different range, though. That's the difference, right? Okay. But yeah. just down-tuning it, man. I mean- I get it. You want to see it, but but maybe he's like, dude, if I can't do it uh-huh. the way that I did it, let's not You'll do it. You have to
1: have him on and ask. Get yeah, yeah, details. exactly,
0: yeah. exactly. Let's talk about some of the guys that didn't show up that made a big deal of it. Like like like, talk about Axel.
1: Oh yeah, uh, that was um again. There's many years of challenge of of um at the time animosity animosity. Yeah. That, you know, they've since buried a lot of that and they were we out had, touring together. Yeah, they love
0: each other now. But the hope
1: was that that would all come together before the induction. It just didn't. You know, Duff and um, and Slash and others came. They weren't going to perform. If I remember right, there was a – Axel put him on notice because he owns the band name that they couldn't use the name. They decided two days before the induction they wanted to rehearse. They rehearsed. They brought in Miles Kennedy. And they blew the doors off.
0: They did. But Gilby in, Miles yeah. Kennedy, yeah, they had yeah. Uh, Stephen Drumming. So there, there's those moments. And um, didn't Axel like say like you're not allowed to say my name on stage or something? <laughs> I <laughs>
1: believe some of that <laughs> stuff came through, and and I think the lawyers hashed it out. But uh, it ended up in the broadcast. It, it, yeah, it worked out. And you know, it's great that now they're out pleasing audiences and doing their thing. It's a shame it didn't happen on their induction. That was a, a moment, that, right? Uh, that would have been.
0: What about the Van Halen one?
1: Yeah, that, I don't know all the details on why people didn't come over for that one. But uh, it's, again, it's it's years and years of, uh, of th- there's a reason why the band isn't together. Yeah. And then to, to sort of try and pull it all together um, for the induction doesn't always come, doesn't happen. But there have been magical moments where it works out.
0: I just love those stories of Van Halen inducted with no Van Halens and no Roth. But there you go. <laughs> How about the Sex Pistols? That was a good one.
1: That's a good one. Uh, you know, I, I really actually i'm a fan of theirs and they've always had that that stance so they sent a letter in pretty much telling us to you know get screwed and uh they weren't coming and they didn't want to participate but you know what's interesting is um in subsequent years steve jones and glenn matlock great you know integral parts of the band they've picked up their hall of fame plaque great uh they uh
0: Jonesy, by the way, is the best guy in the world. Yeah. I love that guy, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and, and Matlock's super as well. Yes,
0: he was been on the show, and Glenn told me yeah. that he had no idea that they weren't showing up. Yeah. He's just like, what do you mean we're not going? <laughs> I want to go. Nope, we're not going. Like, all right.
1: <laughs> so, you know, that th- th- I, I get it when at the moment, but uh, in the, the view of history, and both of those guys, by the way, and I'm sure Johnny Lydon, too, they know rock and roll history. Mm-hmm. Like, they know their stuff. And uh, they understand what their band meant, and they're part of this club here that has only 338 members. That's uh, amazing. They've earned it. They deserved it. When they come here, they look at all the other stuff, and they're they're completely into it. So at the moment, they, they took a stand, mm-hmm. um, but I'm glad they've come around since then.
0: I love the spirit of rock and roll and, and the rebel spirit, but I think it's like you said, as you get older, it's like – Hey, can I have that plaque? Can you send it on over?
1: Yeah. yeah. It, it's a shift from, I think the letter said you can piss on your award or something like that. <laughs> but hey, that's perfectly in character. That's what
0: the Sex Pistols should be saying. Yeah. Right. They should not be showing up and saying it. Last few things for you. Uh, who do you feel uh, should be in here that, that's, that hasn't been put in yet at this point?
1: Yeah. You know, I I used to answer that question by naming some of the people that I'm a fan of that. I thought were really influential, like Tom Waits mm. and even Stevie Ray.
0: Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah.
1: But he's—they're he's all, all in now. They're in now, right, right? They're in now. And so, you know, I think that uh, with the with the Pesh going in, it suddenly opens up sort of a, a bigger door to some of this '80s '90s stuff that's been impactful. Nine Inch Nails takes us in a new direction. That's really powerful. Yeah, because
0: they're in this year too, right? They're in this yeah. year.
1: So it'll be interesting to see how we handle some of the the strong '80s bands that were. um uh, that were important and impactful. Uh, there's also uh, some 70s um, soul stuff that, uh, you know, I'm from Philly, and you think about um, some of those those great bands that um, right now we'll see where that goes, putting in a Whitney Houston, who is the voice of her generation, and, and sort of takes it from we can reconcile classic soul stuff with Aretha and with Marvin Gaye and Smokey and people. But that 70s, 80s stuff, I think there's a there's a window there where there's some powerful artists that, that are really important.
0: So you would, because this is one thing, that Whitney Houston, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you're comparing her to yeah. Aretha, a modern Aretha. Yes. That yeah. makes sense.
1: If you think about Marvin Gaye, nobody questions his-
0: Nobody. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, for sure. Yeah. Even Bill Withers, yeah, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yeah.
1: Marvin's soulful ballads, slow stuff, up-tempo stuff- dance stuff that's the same yeah you're right and so um you've got you you can't just look at it that way because it happened 30 or 40 years ago or actually (laughs) 50 years yeah and 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 be sort of think differently because it happened 30 years ago so think of them that way that's one way to think about it and then of all the artists that say how influential she was so you know and i know that that um
0: that's a great point man
1: some artists some some fans Um, have their favorites so they don't necessarily want to see that but I I think that's something people should think about.
0: How about when you with the controversy but when people say they don't like the rap art like this is Biggie Smalls or Biggie how does rap relate to rock and roll? So
1: that's one that's an argument that we've had a long time he's the seventh hip hop artist to Mm. go in so they're already in they've sort of kicked down the door Mm. and um, I think there's a few things with that one is rock and roll was never just for skinny guys with long hair and guitars. It's always been diverse. So in the 50s, you've got um, Street Corner Harmony existing with rip-roaring like dangerous rockabilly uh, with gospel stuff. In the 60s, it's the same art form that has Simon and Garfunkel and Jimi Hendrix in the same canon. In the 70s, you've got punk rock. You've got um, the Patti Smith group in art rock that nobody questions. You've got soul music in the 70s. Uh, you've got New Wave coming in. You've got disco, which is soul music with a little different beat you've got industrial music coming in the 80s and hip-hop's coming in too it's just different branches on the same tree it's an attitude it's a spirit it's pushing it further so you've got grunge industrial hardcore thrash speed metal you know they're all off the same tree so i think people um maybe get their hands around it better with public enemy because they've got real
0: instruments run dmc run dmc
1: you know let's not forget uh the great you know body count is a great merger of hip-hop and mm-hmm. metal together so there's a lot happening there and I, I just think a lot of the people that don't think of these artists they're not fans but it doesn't mean that these artists aren't hall of fame working.
0: i always equated it with the attitude rock and roll is a rebel attitude it's, it's yeah. doing something new it's from the streets and that's what hip-hop is
1: it, well it is and if you look at the roots of rock and roll you know it's blues gospel yes yeah. country that's
0: beat music
1: and there's, there's a theme in a lot of that, and that is an attitude, and that's a, that's a push in the envelope. There's blues songs that are, that are down and out, but there's also blues songs that are you know bragging songs, and you've got your, your head held high. Mm. Uh, there's country songs like that. It's all mixed in, and, and hip-hop does the same stuff.
0: I think, like you said, too, when you're talking about the heavy metal element, which I'm, I'm, I'm a rock guy, but I'm a metal guy as yeah. well. That's one genre that hasn't really been represented other than the biggest two, Metallica and Guns N' Roses. Yeah. But there's a whole cachet of bands. Like you said, it's only a matter of time before you're Iron Maiden, right. Priest, Motorhead, Scorpions. Ozzy is a solo artist. Ronnie James Dio is a solo artist. I mean, there's such a huge band. Like, yeah. like you said, there's only a matter of time. You're
1: rising out of your seat as you're saying this. But there's yeah. only
0: so many bands worthy right. as we continue forward, right?
1: Yeah. You know, everybody you named is a powerful, impactful, remarkable mm-hmm. band. And you're right. There's a there's a process, and if you think about it, you know, um, Def Leppard was one that went in. Great point. Um, and they they're straddling pub rock to straight ahead blues to
0: you know straight ahead metal and, and glistening pop in yeah. between, right? Yeah.
1: So so let's let's see where it goes. You know, nomination alone is amazing. To think that Motorhead's yeah. on the
0: ballot, yeah, right? That's yeah. huge. That, that um, never happened before. Yeah. You know, Motley Crue will be next. That's another one. You know, last question, two questions. How do you decide the inductors? Yeah. The guys who bring them on? Mm -hmm.
1: You know, it's a combination of um, finding ways to, um, one, the artists themselves, but also what artists did they influence? And maybe there's opportunities to to work, to play together, Mm -hmm, jam together. mm -hmm. And in the end, we're also creating something that's impactful for the audience and for the the viewers. So think about uh, Getty Lee. Getty Lee is inducting Yes. Yeah. Picture Getty like listening to the Yes records. Yeah. And learning his stuff, and then he's up there talking about them. Then he's jamming with mm. them afterwards. You know.
0: I was. So he played bass, I think, during yeah, their he induction. Bass, yeah. During their induction. Yeah. What a
1: dream. So you want to create those combinations, and then there's also some mutual admiration. I'll go back to Def Leppard. Uh, Brian May, oh, that was great. you know, he talked about how much he liked the band and how much they connected and and there's friendships um, away from the stage mm-hmm. that are really important and really deep. Um, Trent Reznor talked about what the cure meant to his world growing up um, in northwestern Pennsylvania and like this lifeline to this bigger world. And, and it spoke to his soul. Uh, that's kind of, uh, what you want for the inductors, uh, in some other honors in other places, you might have a relative, mm. you might have somebody like that. This is not the time for that. This mm. is a time for those, those higher connections. Tom
0: Morello, best speech ever about KISS. Yes. <laughs> so great, right?
1: Impact, influence, and awesomeness. <laughs> he said, are the qualifications <laughs> that's a for great Kiss? call. But well, yeah, but that's what it, it did it for him. You know, he was the, that teenage kid and, and KISS rocked his world.
0: Who did Bono induct? The Clash, maybe.
1: He's inducted um, uh, Bob Marley. He inducted, um, I believe, the Clash. The
0: Clash, I think, yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, he um, he's he's got a great sense of of history and their place in it, and and he cares about it. Springsteen's inducted a few people, so you know, I'm not sure I fully answered the question, but it's a it's a process. It's finding those that are, are that right fit, and it's been remarkable. I think we've, uh, the creators and producers have nailed it.
0: Howard Stern and Bon Jovi. I just think of some of the great ones, you know? Yeah. You wouldn't expect that, yeah.
1: No, and and part of it is is they truly have known each other forever Mm -hmm. and it's mutual admiration. And it was something that just added to the ceremony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's very cool that he did it. And um,
0: creating cool moments. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: impactful, you know, engage, teach, and inspire.
0: Who's your favorite band of all time?
1: I'm right in the, uh, the Clash Stones wheelhouse. For me, and um, yeah, those are, those are the two. And then growing up, you know, being born in New Jersey, you've got to have a little Springsteen.
0: <laughs> we uh, Every year on the cruise, I was telling you about, we do a cover set, and this year we did Rock the Casbah. Oh, yeah. That f-ing song's got 8,000 lyrics to it. I was like, how am I going <laughs> to remember this? But yeah. then once I got into it, yeah. great lyrics, great story, great yeah. band. And yeah. thank you so much, Greg. This is an amazing place. If you guys like rock and roll and you haven't been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, you have to check it out. Fantastic! Hey, come by anytime. Now I got a connection. I'll be using you guys every year for my uh, annual uh, 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 journey to the to the induction ceremony. Deal. Thanks, man. All right.